Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, even when those episodes make us sad, doing our best to look at them all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Kaupersamoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Skin of Evil. This episode was written by Joseph Stefano and Hannah Louise Shearer, and directed by Joseph L. Scanlon. It first aired on April 23rd, 1988. So this is a sad episode, and I think this episode also indirectly kind of just deals with sadness. So I thought we could talk for a check-in about what we can do, or what, what you do, or what we do when we're sad. Yeah, and maybe in a way, now that I think about it, this episode looks like a bad way to deal with sadness. Yes. In that, like, it seems that there's been a past here that kind of gets touched on where people decided to just sort of take their sadness and try to just stuff it away somewhere. Yeah. On, like a remote planet and not deal with it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It really felt yeah. like repression. Yes. Yeah, it kind of, yeah, now that, I th- that we're talking it out, yeah, it's very much like almost an embodiment. Yeah. Like, literally of repressed feelings yeah and it is actually painful to watch for Mm -hmm. me at least like it was it was really weirdly touching yeah and i i now that and we asked this question too it's like what you know what can you do when you are sad Mm -hmm. and i think many of us have struggled over the last because i think first of all a lot of us are have been sad probably maybe even more so than usually over the last like two years Dealing with, you know, a global pandemic and then feeling the weight not only of our own individual sadness, but also like a collective sadness. Yeah. Which also seems to be part of the plot line of this, of a past civilization that's, you know, that we touch on in this episode too. Yeah. So what what do you do? What, what, I don't like the term coping skills, but Mm -hmm. I guess it's like, I don't, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is feeling it. I kind of just have to allow myself to feel it. But I also sometimes don't feel it because I need to, you know, I need to kind of bracket it to get through something else. Like I can't, when I'm going through something sad, I can't just like not go to work or... We we should be able to do that though. Yeah, we totally should, (laughs) but we can't because we live in a capitalist world. So... When I can, I think the the big thing is acknowledging it, that it's it's real and allowing myself to feel it. And then, yeah, doing things that make me feel good, but recognizing that those things aren't always going to be the same and they're not going to be easy things like, or they won't necessarily be easy things like have a bubble bath or do a face mask or exercise and eat good food. Sometimes the thing that I need to do is like order takeout because I'm too sad to cook and that's take that's taking care of myself, right? Or sometimes the thing I need to do is watch however many episodes of something and that's taking care of myself. But then other times yeah. the thing is, the thing I need to do is like, okay, this this is something that will make me not necessarily feel good now, but feel good in the long run. So maybe clean my kitchen or go for a run yeah. or so there are there are a lot of different ways and i think it's important also to have a a mix of things not just one thing because then sometimes that one thing doesn't work out and then you're like well now i'm stuck 
I think some of my saddest times have been in anticipation of having to make a very hard choice. Uh-huh. And I, I'm very bad at that. So I have a tendency to procrastinate very big decisions for a long, long time. Yeah. And then I just sort of sit in this state of like limbo when faced with a big choice that I don't want to make or like a scary decision. This yeah. is something I'm bad at. And I've noticed over my life. And usually like on the other side of that choice, I always just feel so much better, regardless of like how it turns out, rather yeah. than just kind of sitting in the in that limbo space. And uh, I've done this with like, you know, relationships or like changing jobs or or trying to change a behavior that I know is no good. It's like, okay, well, you sit there on this moment and that that next step seems so terrifying. Because I'm, I'm, sometimes it takes me a long time to like work up the courage. Yeah. So it's like, I think sometimes when I'm sad, I'm like, okay, where am I, where do I need to be a little bit more intentional about what I'm doing in order to not feel this way anymore? And sometimes it is making that really hard choice that I haven't made and recognizing like why I feel that way. I also, I used to blame myself a lot for being sad, that like sadness in and of itself was some kind of failure. Yeah. Like I should always be happy and cheerful. Otherwise I'm letting people down and myself down. And that if I ever felt adversity or sadness because of that adversity, that it was as a result of my failure in some way. I was failing to be like chipper and positive. Right. Yeah, I'm not toxic be so positivity. Toxic. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you? So when you are sad, how do you take care of that or or address that? Or a lot of my sadness comes from feeling like I think stuck. Like, again, like stuck before a choice or stuck in something that I'm fearful of or in anticipation of something. So I find that even if I try to do one thing to help move forward, I will feel better. Like okay. maybe I'll jump on uh, LinkedIn and see what other positions might be, you know, because right now I'm juggling like a few part-time roles. So my work is a bit fluid right now. Like I can maybe swap one of those out for like a different position or try to find a way to make myself a little bit more financially stable. So it's like, okay, well, what out there else could I do and and try to entertain some of the possibilities of like changing my week and what it kind of looks like in terms of what I'm doing. Or maybe it's like making one step on a creative project that I might be intimidated by. Right. And again, even if it's just like doing a little bit of research or if I'm doing video editing, maybe it's just making one edit on one part of it. And then usually if I get past that first part, then you you get into a bit of a flow. Like you realize, okay, I've kind of gotten past the scary part of just making that one first step yeah. and now I can get more work done. So when you're feeling sad or or bad in some way, it doesn't have to be sad, but just having having a tough time, your way of dealing with it, it seems, is to work on addressing the cause of that feeling. I think so, yeah. Because if I don't focus on it that way, then usually I just, it becomes like this sort of amorphous blob of self-blame and shame and guilt. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, it becomes its own skin of evil Fair floating enough. around in my house. That's interesting because I was thinking, and I I think, yeah, that is definitely something that, that I try to do sometimes, but sometimes the sadness isn't from anything I feel like that I have control over. So, right, you know, if it's something that a person close to me is going through or a death of some kind or even things that are like maybe I can have some control over but that are really much bigger, like feeling sad about the state of the world, just feeling sad that someone was elected, that kind of sadness too. There are sometimes actions I can take, but also sometimes I 
I just have to take care of myself in the in the short term so that I can then have the energy to address these problems that I that I'm feeling such despair over. Yeah, and I think that's an important realization as well. Is like what what do we actually have control over or don't? Yeah. Or maybe somewhere in between. Like what what elements can we control in an otherwise uncontrollable situation? Like you may not be able to change the the outcome of that election, but maybe you can work toward changing the next one yeah. or something. Right. Or maybe you can work to yeah help people who are advocating for certain policies or exactly yeah other kinds of direct action yeah Mm -hmm. yeah all right well that's that's good we've got some strategies and we'll probably feel sad by the end of this episode so yeah maybe we can put some of them into play like i was saying i just i just finished my rewatch of it so i'm already kind of in a sad place i was like oh yeah (laughs) finishing this one So should we get into it? Let's get into it. Okay, so in this episode, an oil slick of evil holds Troy captive on an otherwise deserted planet and kills a member of the Enterprise crew. Yeah. So we open with a ship crossing through the Zed, which is Z-E-D again. Yeah. (laughs) Z-E-D. Lapis Sector to meet Troy's shuttle. So she was at a conference and engineering is doing maintenance on the dilithium crystals. You can see this in the opening shot of the ship, like the warp cells are powered down and dark. Yeah. And you don't see like the normal blue and red glow. And there's this neat, I, I thought really nice moment between Yar and Worf. It's so On nice. the bridge. Yeah. They're discussing the upcoming martial arts competition. Yeah. And she wants him to help her practice which I think is, okay, I, th- I think it's nice for two reasons. One, I-, I love that he's helping her practice. But two, I wonder if Worf is like, I'm not going to participate in this competition because, like, the fact that I'm a Klingon just gives me such a such an advantage that I'm it wouldn't actually be a competition. Like, that wouldn't be fun for anyone. Yeah, maybe he's, he's afraid of maybe harming people. It could be that. and also, But also, like, I wouldn't feel proud if I won. Like, yeah, maybe that could be true. Yeah, yeah that might be the case. So, Although he- I'm sure there's other, like, species on the Enterprise that also have comparable strength to Worf? Maybe not. I don't know. Data. Oh, yeah, Data. I don't think he's in the competition either. <laughs> Maybe but he's in a different class. I don't know. Different class. It's just he and Worf just fighting yeah, each other. Yeah. Data would still win. Uh, but there's they make this comment. He, Worf asks her who the first competitor is, and she says it's like this guy from the science department and it's funny because he's like oh you're gonna beat him no problem it's fine it's some nerdy science guy or whatever yeah. like and you'll he, beat him yeah he says like she's favored in the pool and his yeah so, like his money's on her which is really sweet she looks really proud and happy yeah she's so touched by that and she says if she could get if she could practice this one joint lock on him and get out of it then she could win on everyone and he's yeah. like that's true it's true yeah because <laughs> no it's no competition for Worf. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was just a nice moment between them yeah. where they share this commonality that they don't, I don't think they've really established no. how close the two characters are and how much yeah. they share with one another. He is in her department, right? Like she's chief of security and he's a member of the security team, I think. I think so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and then I didn't think about this till later and we'll get we'll get to this part, but there's more parallels between there them are. that she also yeah. highlights later. And, and so it's another one of these like, Oh, I wish that these two had more screen time together For sure. moments. Yeah. yeah. So then Worf gets an emergency transmission from the shuttle that Troy is on. Uh, and we hear the pilot. It's Lieutenant Prieto. Uh, he's saying there's onboard systems failure. Instruments are going haywire. They're losing power. They're like going to get pulled into a planet, like into, into orbit of a planet or into the planet's gravity. And Picard tells engineering we need warp now and we hear from i believe our fourth chief of <laughs> the engineering other, okay the other actually, dude from uh 
from the last episode. Yeah. He already got fired okay, again. Here's, here's what I think happened with, with uh, Logan, Chief Logan. Logan. I think that Troy saw how he behaved with Jordy. And I think yep. she went to Picard and was like, uh-uh, this guy should not be in charge of anything. I don't think I don't think LaForge said anything to Picard. I don't think he would. But I think, because like, you know, then it would just look like he was being petty. Yeah, that's your headcanon now. Yeah, that's what so happened. I think Troy, yeah. Troy was like, we need someone else. So they we've got Lieutenant Commander Leyland T. Lynch. And every time he says his name, he says his full name. He says Leyland yeah, T. Lynch. Leyland T. Lynch here. Yeah, and he says that it's going to take 20 minutes to realign the crystals and Picard is like we don't have that much time so he's like okay I'll do it by hand I guess that's faster yeah I didn't understand that part yeah. either you think the precision of the computer would make it quicker but I yeah guess not. so and then we go into a very suspenseful intro with another another above shot of the bridge I don't think we get those so much in the later seasons but we've had I think it's the last one yeah we'll find out yeah yeah so then after the intro there's very suspenseful music like it's, you know, you just know it. things are on edge. And I was feeling on edge, like, watching this. It's the 80s version of the of the tense music yeah. in Star Trek. Dun, it shifts, dun, so dun, it's dun, all dun, mainly dun. just synth stuff. Yeah. yeah. And engineering starts up the warp drive without doing a final check. Leland T. Lynch is like, no, we're not going to do the final check. And the computer's yeah. like, you should do this. And he's like, we don't have time. Yeah. And he tells them minimum warp drive. But then Picard asks for warp eight. Yeah, even though, and he's like, he's like, no, I said minimum warp drive. And Picard is like, I said warp eight. So, yeah, that's how fast we're going to go. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah. So Worf finds, he locates the shuttle on this planet. And Riker seems really worried. He's definitely worried about Troy. And it's it's just very strange. Like their sensors can't penetrate the debris so they can't beam up the survivors. Like that's just weird. Yeah, and Picard mentions that too. Like yeah. he said, it's really strange that we... That this random rubble would be blocking our transporter yeah. and, and our sensors. And you can just tell by everyone's uh, facial expressions and also the music that something's not right. This is, Something we are meant to feel unsettled. Yeah. Yeah. So we have an away team of Riker, Yar, and Data, and Crusher. They beam down to this barren planet. And there's like a pan from the shuttle to the beam-in spot. And if you notice, like in the pan, there's this sort of black slick on the ground yeah and when the away team tries to approach the shuttle the slick moves between them and the shuttle and it has like this like whooshy sound effect yeah, it's as like it's like wet moving. and whooshy it's very yeah. weird yeah and data can't figure out what it is he he scans it and he's like i can tell you what it's not <laughs> yeah and you know, that it has no neural or circulatory systems. There's no internal organs, known proteins or skeletal framework, muscle or cellular structure. And But he theorizes that it, it might be alive. And Riker's kind of frustrated by this because he's like, well, how could it be moving yeah. if it's not alive? But I mean, yeah. stuff does that all the time. It, yeah. You know, and I mean, we I was stimulus. thinking as we watched this, like they, they encountered a, that ugly bags of mostly water life form. So, you know, this isn't the first life form that doesn't make sense to them. Yeah, so they're always frustrated by. We want to understand it now. Yeah. Have we found enough of these things that we know what they are yet? Yeah, no, yeah. So, and I mean, he to his credit, I guess, like Data only theorizes when Picard is like, "Theorize, is it alive?" And he was like, "It could be." He's not like, "I think it's alive." But can I have a nitpicky moment here? Of course. Okay, so a nitpicky thing for me as a science communicator yes. is that people interchange use interchangeably the word theorize and hypothesize and they are not the same thing 
<laughs> what what is happening here is the data is hypothesizing. Okay, explain the difference. Explain the difference so, for us. This is why people say like, oh, well, evolution is just a theory yeah. because people think theory and hypothesis are the same. A hypothesis is like, I'm making a guess. Then when I test that guess, I come to a theory as to what's going right, on. Right. So theories are the amalgamation of an hypothesis that's tested through methodology over and over and over again, usually by an entire scientific body that then arrives by consensus to a theory. So a theory is, is not in this sense, in this sense, when you have a little bit of evidence and we're not really sure, you that's a hypothesis. I, I mean, it's also like, I was always taught that a hypothesis is an educated guess. And this is a Guess, but it's based on very little data. Is that a pun? <laughs> I didn't mean for it to be, but as soon as I said it, I heard it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Woo. But it's, but you know, like he doesn't have a whole lot of evidence. Like a, a hypothesis isn't just like, ah, I think if I throw this ball, it'll just stay in the air forever. Like a hypothesis is based on evidence. Some well, evidence. we can, we can. We can guess that maybe uh, my hypothesis in this case is that Data has a lot of like other scientific knowledge in his brain that he might be bringing to bear in this right. situation. Anyways, I just think that that distinction is important because a lot of anti-science is is yeah. founded in this idea that that theories are the same as an hypothesis and they're yeah. not. Anyways, I just wanted to yeah. say that. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really problematic. So that's important. Thanks for indulging me in that diversion. Of course, I have a slightly different nitpick. Maybe not nitpick, just something right. I find amusing, which is that this slick has read The Wizard of Oz, or at least seen the movie. Oh, yeah, because it refers to Data as Tin Man when it starts to speak. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Yeah. And then I, I like, couldn't figure out how to describe this. It's like a figure rises out of the slick, but it's also the slick turning into a figure. Yeah, you know what? I know it's something funny here. Yeah. I realized because I've been, I do my own rewatches of episodes and there's the episode that I literally just watched prior to this one. Yeah. Reuses that costume. And, and is voiced by the voice same actor. person. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. And I was about. like, wait a second. Yeah. When I saw I was yeah. like, hey, wait, I know you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I know. I, I read that. I was like, yeah, that's true. We'll get there <laughs> yeah. in a few years. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, so this figure rises and it is it is made out of the slick. And uh, Riker, Picard's like, what's that? And Picard calls it, or and Riker calls it trouble. Trouble. Yeah. So the slick introduces itself as Armus. Yeah. They don't, I, I always wondered like where the name came from. I think that there, I read that there was someone on staff whose last name was Armis. And nobody liked him. I guess. Oh, and uh, <laughs> actually, no, I did read somewhere that it's like Estonian for like something actually kind of, it's like something to do with love or. Oh, interesting. No, I was thinking more like how would it, in like in the story, how would it have a name? Oh, like, I don't, like, did they just, they named it and then, anyways. It doesn't, <laughs> it just, it's but been sitting there naming itself for the last. There, yeah, like, I have choose this name. It's called Armis. Yeah, it's Estonian for fell in love. Oh. Apparently, according to IMDb. So that's I don't know if that weird. really works for this. Anyways, but it wants to know why they're there and it won't let them access the shuttle. And it has this kind of like deep voice. I'll put a segment of it in yeah, here. We can say sure. it. But it, it does not share the belief that all life in the universe has the right to exist. Yeah. One of the things that it says. An interesting notion which I do not share. You may leave now, if you wish. And then, not ten minutes into the episode, Tasha Yar attempts to cross the slick, saying, we're not going to hurt you. And Armis shoots energy at her, and she falls to the ground. 
Yeah, she actually like flies through the yeah. air first, like just tosses her. Yeah. And Data and Riker fire at Armis immediately, and it has no effect. In fact, Armis seems to like drink up the energy. Yeah. Kind of makes this like like he's getting stronger. Yeah. And then yeah, Crusher looks over, looks over Yar, and and says, says that she's, she's dead, dead, just like on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a there's a marking on her face that since my childhood I have always wondered about. Yeah, it almost looks like, I would thought, like, is it a blob of the goo? Yeah, I couldn't like, tell. what is it? It's yeah, really... it's just sort of this splash on her face. Yeah. So Picard says, like, beam up right away. Like, get back. Yeah. And they all beam back. They don't beam to sickbay. No, that's weird. Which I thought was strange. You think they would beam directly to sickbay, but they beam up and Crusher says, like, we had to get her to sickbay. And it's Data that picks her up. Yeah. And carries her there. Yeah, because they're good buds. They are. He cares for her. Yes, he does. Yeah. Crusher tries to use a neural stimulator to bring her back, but she's got her like on like at one point Riker's like, oh, you've got her. And she's like, no, I've got her on full support. There's no independent brain functioning. And she wants to try direct reticular stimulation. And you know that that's that's intense because this technician is like, what? And she's like, do it. Yeah. And she like they have to keep upping the voltage of the zaps. And as the zaps get stronger and stronger, uh, Yar reacts and jolts less and less and then yeah we're not even 15 minutes into the episode and crusher says that there was too much synaptic damage that thing just sucked the life right out of her there's nothing i can do yeah and picard turns around and looks really surprised that yeah. like, there's a genuine surprise in his face that they, that this has happened yeah like, so I remember, like, I haven't watched this episode in probably 20 years. Wow. Because I always skipped over it because I thought it was, I didn't like that they lost a crew member. No. A, and, like, a central and cast member. A central cast member. And, and just, like, and so I, I usually didn't watch it. So we had to go through it. And one thing that really stood out to me is I, rem I remembered specifically, and I don't know why this is the one thing that stood out. I remembered all the numbers of the microvolts that oh. Crusher was using to get her back. And I remember as a kid watching it and her going through the increments. And I remembered as I was watching, I'm like, she goes to 90. I remember at the end, yeah. she says 90. Yeah. And she uses this like tone in her voice. And as a young person watching this, this was a real shock because people don't die in Star Trek. Like no. main characters don't die in a show. So to have her, and I remember even the kid watching like, oh, wait a second, they're, they're going to bring her back by the end. Like she's yeah. going to come back. Like something's going to happen. Yeah. And so it was such a surprise. And I think it was a surprise to audiences as well that like a main cast member yeah. in the show is killed off. Yeah. And kind of, I don't know how you feel about this, but I mean, there's more that comes later, but I, I feel like this moment is almost sort of, it's, I don't know if it's intentionally trying to be shocking, but it feels so unceremonious. I have mixed feelings because I, so I had watched it more recently. I can't remember when the last time was that I watched it, maybe a few years ago, but but more recently than than you had. And I remember feeling, yeah, it 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 is unceremonious and not really a, a good send off. And I remember hearing like, oh, this is what Star Trek does when people ask to leave the show. They get like killed off in these horrible yeah. Ways. horrible ways yeah and yeah so that's but but also like i sort of remembered the episode as being i don't know i didn't remember the episode as being as moving as it was i always felt i always remember the death being very moving but there are other parts of the episode that are much more moving 
than I yes. remember. Yes, I'd agree. It would have been nice to see Yar be able to fight, not just have the life sucked out of her. Yeah, just be like literally just tossed aside. Yeah. Like that's exactly just literally cast to the side. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. And again, like this, uh, especially having rewatched the series now up until this point, I feel like I've gained like a far greater appreciation for Yar. Yeah. Because it was a character that I I just experienced in like literally my childhood. Because again, I don't really go back and watch a lot of the first season right, episodes. Right, same, yeah. And so now like having rewatched it in my adulthood, I'm like, oh, this character is actually pretty interesting and I wish we had more time with them. Yeah, the other sad thing, I think you sort of alluded to this uh, in the previous episode in Symbiosis when there was that whole scene with her, the sort of say no to drugs uh, scene that actually yeah, yeah, yeah. discussed had a lot more heart than, than yeah. maybe it's given credit for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that scene and then also the scene at the beginning of this episode with her and Worf, apparently Denise Crosby said that if she'd had more scenes like that, she might have stayed on. Yeah. But she just didn't feel like she was given much to work with. And I, you know, I I sort of feel obviously as a as an actor you have to make decisions that are right for you and if you feel like you're just showing up to work and not doing anything like I totally I think that totally makes sense to be like I'm gonna do something else but also like yeah maybe I, I kind of wonder like did, were there other characters who didn't get the same amount of development throughout the first like up to this point do you think have other characters gotten more development than she has Maybe. I mean, like, if you think about them, like, we have we have some backstory on Worf. We've we've got some things with with Jordy, a little bit data, certainly. Yeah. Uh, Troy and and her mom. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, maybe we, we haven't. Wesley, uh, both. Yeah. So so maybe that I can. Yeah. Maybe it's it's fair to feel that. I again, I think the other missed opportunity here is that she also gets to. She basically is a window into this colony, this kind of darker part of human explore or human colonization into yeah. the galaxy or exploration of the galaxy that maybe haven't gone so well. Like again, we always see this like nice and tidy Federation and future Earth where everything's fine. But she's sort of this example of like, no, not not everything has gone super well in our creation of homes throughout the galaxy. And yeah. so uh Armis covers the shuttle. Yeah, back on the planet, Armis has back covered the, the shuttle and we sort of look inside and we can see that Lieutenant Prieto is unconscious and Troy is on the floor. And was, would you agree? Like, I feel like she was in a kind of awkward position. Like her legs are kind of like she looks like she's injured and she's not lying properly. Is there are people not in awkward positions after they survive a shuttle? Crash? I know. Yeah, that's that was what I that was what I felt like her her legs are kind of pointing in a direction that i feel like you wouldn't choose to have your legs point in if yeah you i think she's them. injured yeah like she might have yeah. broken bones she's got like a bruise on her face her communicator's not working also and armis tells her that her friends deserted her and they're not coming back and he says that he killed one of them and troy felt that she felt she felt Tasha die. Yeah, she actually, yeah, felt it happen. And I, and I almost feel like there's a dynamic now that gets set up between Armis and Troy because they, they start to communicate with each other. And I was thinking that in essence, the two characters are like polar opposites because oh, yeah. one is an is empathic and can feel emotions and sense emotions. And the other one is like, yeah. seems almost incapable of empathy at all. And I think that in that sense, he is almost like curious about her. 
and her reactions to things. Yeah. I like that Troy doesn't play into his games at all. Like, Armis is like, aren't you going to ask me why I killed her? And Troy's like, no, I know that you did it for no reason. So no reason that you give me is going to be meaningful. And Armis says, I did it because it amused me. And Troy says, no, you thought it would, but it didn't actually, which I think is, I think it's nice. Like, I, this is... These are the kinds of things where I really do love Troy that she's just like she's that that strength. She won't be she she's not despairing and she's not she's not submitting at all. Yeah. Yeah. So back on the observation lounge, it's like it's chaos. It's probably the most chaotic times you ever see the crew in the observation lounge. Yeah. Like they everyone's talking about like the senselessness of Yar's death. And so Picard kind of starts like like he just taps on the table to try to get everyone to quiet yeah. down. And he reminds them that they can't, like they need to focus on what's happening. They can't deal with this right now. They need to get to the shuttle. They need to get the crew back from the shuttle. Yeah. And so he makes Worf acting chief of security. Yeah. And Worf says he's gonna, he'll do his best. I like that. Yeah. So they're discussing, like they can tell that Armis can make it impossible for them to communicate or beam off of the planet unless, like, mm-hmm. it wants them to. And Riker says that its actions are intentional. So the fact that the rest of them are alive, the fact that Troy and Prieto are alive, that's for a reason. And Picard's like, yeah, I don't think the location of the shuttle crash is a coincidence. Like, everything is being done purposefully. Right, Yeah. LaForge joins the away team because he might be able to see something with his visor. Yeah. And as they're all about to go, like Riker turns around and and basically asks if Worf is joining them. And Worf has this moment where he realizes I'm in a new role now. Yeah. And it's kind of this cool moment for Worf because he, he realizes like, even though I, I think normally his instincts are to fight. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, I recognize that the combat is not the point here. It's it's the retrieval of the crew and I can do a better job at the tactical station. So I'm going to remain here. Yeah. And we'll say more about it later. But I think this is a really great Worf episode. I think he really, you really see a lot of strength. Worf gets a lot of, a lot of hate or maybe not hate, but like a lot of ridicule for being so fighty. Yeah. And I think as we watch it, you know, maybe I'll form a, a more educated opinion on whether that whether I think that's actually a well-earned um, ridicule. But because I, you know, I don't know, haven't watched the whole series in order mm-hmm. ever. So, but in this episode, like he actually is tactically very clever. Yes. And it shows a lot of maturity, I think, in the yeah. character. And, yeah. Yeah. So the away team beams down again. They see Armis covering the shuttle. And then we, we cut to, to inside the shuttle and... Armis won't let Troy talk to the rest of the to, to the away team because it says that not knowing whether she is alive makes them uneasy. Yeah, and and Armis says that she must be very special. Like, and Troy says, well, all members of the community are equally important. But she realizes that, like, because Armis basically taunted her before by saying, like, hey, everyone left you. They abandoned you here on the yeah. planet. And he seems actually genuinely surprised that they came back for her. Yeah. And maybe it's this moment where, I don't know, if they, they're grappling with how evil he is. But it's like he is also confused by their altruism at the same time. Yeah. And, and so Troy sort of wonders if there were others and I think she's also kind of intuiting and and you know with her empathic abilities figuring out that there were others who did not come back 
for Armis. Yeah. So she's figuring that Armis was abandoned and Armis says, what do you know of them? And Troy is nice and cryptic. She says, only what you tell me. And Armis says, I will tell you nothing. And she says, not now, but soon. Yeah, it's fascinating because she's basically now switched into counselor mode. Yeah. You know, she's basically counseling this entity that of like, you know, call it evil, but basically brokenness as well, you know, at the same time. So Armis leaves the shuttle and goes back to the away team. Yeah. And on the ship, Worf and Wesley are noticing that that they can scan the the force field of energy that's created by Armis. And they note that there are certain times when Armis's energy decreases. And it seems to decrease when Armis is around the shuttle and specifically when he's engaged in conversation with Troy. Yeah. They don't know that. They don't know but, that. But that's but it's, from, the, yeah, from the audience side. <laughs> yeah, we can see. But so when... There are points of it decreasing very low, not enough for them to beam her out, her and uh, Prieto out, but but almost. So Picard says, OK, chart that because that could that could be useful. Yeah. And Armis tells the away team that Troy is alive for now and they want to know why that they came back for her. Yeah. So Riker sort of tries to negotiate with Armis. LaForge looks very carefully. I was noticing how young LeVar Burton looked as he was like peering at Armis. Yeah, I think it's because we're seeing a lot more of, Le- of LeVar Burton these days. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm still rooting yeah. for him to be be chosen as the final host decision for Jeopardy. Because given yeah. that that's up in the open again now. <laughs> uh. We can hope. We can hope. Yep. Yeah, and so then Crusher says she's a doctor. She needs to treat her injured friends. And Armis is such a jerk. Armis is like, say, please. Okay, you can do it. No, I changed my mind. You can communicate. Yeah, he's just a total sadist. Yeah, the one one little like quibble that I have with this, it's not a major thing, but there are times when I feel like Armis changes tactic too quickly. Like it would have been more effective if Crusher had gotten further towards the shuttle before Armis was like, nope, I changed my mind. Like, it's always just, oh, does this make you upset? Oh, it doesn't. I'm going to do this other thing. Does that make you upset? Oh, no, not like, like, it's like, are you even trying to, like, you're not giving them enough time to even be upset if they would be upset. Yeah, it's almost more annoying than anything. Yeah. Than torturous. I think that Armis <laughs> yeah. maybe made, doesn't have a lot of experience with this because he's maybe been not. alone for so long on this planet. Yeah. So they talk to Troy and Troy says she's okay. He doesn't yeah. say anything about Prieto. <laughs> and then uh, then Armis kind of starts to wonder, like, it's like, am I alive? Because I don't register on your instruments. And then it says, maybe your instruments are useless and makes like, so Data's got like a phaser in one hand and a tricorder in the other. And they just like fly out of his hands. And then Jordy's visor flies off of his face. And onto the ground. And onto the ground. And you know what? This kind of bugged me because he said he came down so that maybe he could see things with his visor. He doesn't see anything with his visor. The only reason he's down there is for Armis to bully him. I got from Armis that why he did this was actually almost out of anger because he wants to be considered alive and a life form. Mm. And that when their instruments or when they're so debating as to whether or not he is a living being or a living creature, he's like angry about that. He resents yeah. it and then tries to do this. And yeah. they have like, they have Jordy kind of bend down frantically and look for his visor. Yeah. And Data tries to Data help tries him. to help him. And, and Data says like, it's a meter to the left and then forward. And, and Armis keeps moving the visor on him. Yeah. And then Data decides not to help again. And when Armis is like, why don't you tell him where it is now? Data's like, I'm not going to let you use me to injure my friend. Yeah. 
Data also holds his own quite well against Armis. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, and then when when Armis realizes that that Data's not going to play along, it's like, okay, fine, you can have your just just give him the visor back. So then Data does do that, and LaForge looks really angry when he puts his visor on. Oh yeah, like definitely. Yeah, and so then Armis goes back to the shuttle, and Troy says, "Who deserted you?" and Armis says, creatures whose beauty now dazzles all who see them, they would not exist without me. Yeah. I wish we could have met them. Yeah. It's interesting because basically he says that they, these creatures, whoever they were, they found a way to bring all of their evil to the surface and then discard it. And that discarded part of them is now Armis on this planet. Yeah. So he represents then, like, all the negative and evil of an entire civilization. Two really interesting things I find here. One is Armis says they would not exist without me. So, like, there's a sort of implication that that extreme beauty requires this extreme negativity. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that kind of, that I sort of thought of with this is, like we talked about at the the top in the check-in about not repressing our sadness and how how we need to feel our sadness. And this comes up in in Star Trek later on. Troy later on talks about how, you know, specific emotions aren't positive or negative. It's what you do with them. And I was thinking, like, if there was a way for me to get rid of any negative emotion, would I? Like, to just get not get rid of a negative emotion in a moment, but get rid of any negative emotions that I had in me forever. Would I do that? And I don't think I would because I feel like I need my anger and I need my sadness and I need my, even my pettiness. Like I need those things. My anger helps me fight injustice in the world and Mm -hmm. my sadness helps me cherish things that are special to me. That reminds me actually of of another, there's there's an original series episode. Oh, now I don't remember the name of it. Enemy Within, I think. But Kirk is split into two parts by the transporter. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, and it's actually like, they, they knew it, but it's more nuanced than that. Like, you think the episode is just going to be like, one's good Kirk and one's evil Kirk. But that's not really what it is. Like, one's the the gentle, kind of like empathetic version of himself. And the other one is more like impulsive and sort of like angry. But it, that's the part of him that he needs to make choices and decisions and to, to like have executive functioning. And so while the gentle side of him everyone kind of leans to because it's more empathetic and kind that version of himself isn't able to command anymore with yeah. the, uh, the other half like you know so it's like so i wonder if when we we think about the civilization as he describes them these these creatures of beauty that now dazzle all who see them are would they just now be the embodiment of like would they be a whole society of just toxic positivity <laughs> like would that would that all they be yeah and passivity and yeah. are they just kind of like bum- not making any decisions just kind of bumbling through like oh well, yeah okay i guess if, yeah if that's what makes you happy and then all of them still have this repressed it's not like that negativity disappeared. It's just stuck on this planet now and still causing chaos and destruction and death. So maybe they are not causing chaos and destruction and death that they're aware of, but on this remote planet, yeah, they and are. it's And it's not like it's just isolated. I mean, Armis was able to reach out into space and snag this shuttle. So yeah. it's still it's still dangerous. So yeah, I wonder what... Yeah. So yeah, it's it's an interesting lesson for our society i think in a way and ourselves as individuals yeah but troy says that 
that Armas has her pity. And Armas gets really angry about that and like emits this purple energy and shakes the shuttle and then goes away and, and decides to like grab Riker. Yeah. And Riker starts sliding across the ground. And at first he's like, help me. But then when he realizes he's getting pulled into the into the goo, he's like, don't help me anymore because yeah. I don't want to pull you in with me, which I thought was actually quite courageous of Riker. And then he pulls into this goop. And I I, I pity the actor that had, I don't know if it's him or a stunt it double. Is. is it him? It yeah. is him. I've seen him talk about it. Oh, my goodness. It's Metamucil and Printer's Ink. Oh, my God. <laughs> Were, were there no safety standards for actors at this I, time? And he had to go in twice. Oh. Like, I don't... Is Printer's Ink safe to no, get I can't. over your skin? He's like, I went blind, actually. Yeah, like, come on. Oh, good gravy. <laughs> and Metamucil of oh. all things. <laughs> I mean, that's healthy, apparently, but... I'm not mixed with <laughs> Printer's Ink. <laughs> yeah, but I, you see it because it's like clearly that someone is actually going into this pool of goop. It's yeah. not like CG or anything. And I was like, oh, no, God, that's gross. It's, uh, it's Jonathan Frakes. Uh, and he did it twice. Thanks, Frakes. So, and then Picard is about to beam the away team up and Armis threatens to kill Riker and the, the survivors of the shuttle crash if any of them leaves. Yeah. And then we just see Riker's face come up and it looks like uh, Han Solo. In, uh, in the carbonite. Yeah. In the carbonite, that's of what that, it's yeah. called. I kept wanting to say corbomite, but that's from original Trek. It is, yeah, yeah. Carbonite, carbonite right? Yeah. yeah. It looks like it looks like that because he's got a his frozen mouth face. open. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's creepy. I, it's another one of those scenes I remember as a kid being like, oh my god, this is. And it's like it's such a stark parallel because remember the baddies. I'm going to say in quotation marks. Up until this yeah. point in Star Trek, have been the Ferengi, and then well. all. And then, have they though? <laughs> well, not really, but we haven't really had like a like a real antagonist, like an evil yeah. antagonist. So all of a sudden, you swing from like these kind of goofy, laughable yeah. antagonists to all of a sudden this like completely evil, twisted, murderous, sadistic being, and it's so dark in tone compared to the rest of what we've seen in the series up until this point. Yeah, on the ship. Worf finds that the energy field was strongest when Armis killed Yar mm -hmm. and when it attacked Riker. And then there are two points where the field was at its weakest. And again, both of those were when it had the shuttle sort of enveloped. So Picard now figures, okay, Troy is doing something. Yes. She's able to get at it in some way. So he wants to talk to Troy. And now that neither Troy nor Riker is on the bridge, no one's going to give him any guff about leaving the ship yeah he's allowed to go he can go wherever he wants now <laughs> no one's gonna say anything yeah so he beams down he leaves Worf in charge and so we then we go back to the planet and Armis has the shuttle enveloped and Troy can sense that Riker is there like he I there. guess he's somehow his body is still in this slick of material it's weird, yeah because like it's not like, like the ground, whenever Armis moves, the ground underneath that slick is flat. So it's not like there's a pool. It's not like, but so somehow, somehow Riker is within this slick. Yeah. And she calls out like Imzadi. She can sense yeah. that he's, he's in pain and disembodied or whatever inside of this goop. And so, yeah. you know, Ar Armis threatens or asks her like, well, would you give up your life or would you sacrifice yourself? And she's like, oh, I would. And then he's like, well just for him and she's like i would do it for any member of my crew like i would yeah. i would do this i would give myself or trade myself yeah and she's she's crying and just saying you have me let everyone else go and then as she's saying that armis notices that another has arrived so he he 
he notices Picard and leaves the shuttle. Data guesses, doesn't theorize, guesses, that Riker is probably alive because he says that killing probably doesn't amuse Armist anymore. Yeah, and Picard is very calm. And yeah. he doesn't ask Armist what it wants. He just tells Armist that, that he wants to see his people in the shuttle and that he refuses to be of enter any entertainment to him anymore. And Armist forces Data to, like, put a phaser in his hand and then is making Data, like, point it at the other crew members. And he asks him, like, how would you feel if you were the instrument of their death? And Data very rationally says, like, well, I'm not doing anything, so I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Yeah. And and so he says, well, what if you point it, like, what if you kill your captain? What if you kill the doctor? Yeah. You know, and then ultimately makes him point his phaser toward his own head and says, like, what if you, what if you died? How do you feel about that? And Data says, curious. Yeah. There's also a, a, a nice moment where Crusher, kind, they're all sort of doing this almost passive resistance. Mm-hmm. They're not fighting. They're all, and I think in some ways they're taking a cue from the captain. I think his presence there actually does affect how they're all behaving because yeah. he, or Data points the phaser at Crusher and Armis says, tell me that you're not afraid. And she says, I am afraid. Yeah, and she's honest about that. Yeah. Armis says to Crusher, like, choose who will die. And then she says, well, I choose myself. Yeah. Again, like resisting his game. Yeah, and they're all just, it's, it is... <laughs> It must be really frustrating for Armis, to be honest. Yeah, because it's it's almost like he wants to bring out the evil in them as well. Yeah. And almost maybe this is a way for him to say, I don't know, like, break down that glowing image of the civilization that made him. Like, just say, like, uh, oh, this maybe. evil exists in everybody kind of thing. Yeah. I and And I think there's also perhaps feeling so alone as the only one with... You know, being discarded. So clearly, the, the these Titans didn't see Armis as having any value. So maybe trying to find some connection, but the, the connection that Armis is looking for is really toxic. Yeah. Armis makes Data drop the phaser, and Data finds it interesting that, well, he's like, Armis is sadistic and cruel. And so Armis basically asks what, you, what, what Data thinks of him. And yeah. he says, I think you should be destroyed. Yeah, you yeah. have no redeeming qualities. Yeah. Uh, so Picard says that they're done being a source of amusement to, for Armis. Yeah, he concedes that, because Armis says, I can kill Riker, I can kill your shuttle crew. And Picard is like, yeah, that's right, you can. But you can't command them. They follow my orders. Yeah, it was interesting. So you say, you might kind of, you might try to control us and our lives, but I am the one who is in command. Yeah. And it was interesting that he makes that distinction between controlling and commanding. They willingly follow Picard's yeah. orders. They, anything they do that Armis makes them do is unwilling. Yeah. So Armis won't let Picard see Riker or Troy or Prieto. So Picard says that they're, well, we're just going to leave. Like, well, that's it. Yeah. We're going to leave you alone here on the planet. And Armis tries to bait Picard by saying that, well, that means you don't care about them. Yeah. But obviously that's not the case. And kind of like spews Riker back yeah. <laughs> onto the surface. And this is where like... This is where I was like wondering, I'm, I wonder if this is some kind of stunt double or whatever. Not that that makes it any better. It's still a human no, being. No, it's but still a human being covered in goo. Metamucil yeah. and printer, and printer ink. ink. But they wipe away like the face of the person. And yeah, it's Jonathan yeah. Frakes. And I'm, again, I was thinking like, oh, that poor guy. Picard says we won't, he, he won't allow the crew to entertain Armis until he can see the shuttle crew. And he's like, this is, this is between us now. 
the crew is no longer involved. So Armis lets them go. And Armis turns into like this figure again and says that it wants to leave the planet. So and and wants to trade their lives for transportation off world. Yeah. And Picard says he has the means to get Armis off the planet, but first he has to make sure that his people are okay. Yeah. And Armis like winks him into the shuttle, basically. Yeah, he does a little transport. And Troy is okay. Prieto is not. <laughs> he's like slumped over this control yeah. panel. <laughs> but he's alive. He is alive, yeah. yeah. Troy asks about Tasha and Picard has to sadly tell her that she didn't make it. Yeah. And then he explains that the field weakens when Armis is with her. So he wants to know what she's doing. And Troy explains that Armis is just full of rage. And what's interesting here, so I've been kind of like swapping pronouns with uh, Armis. Sometimes I say it, sometimes I say he. I don't really know what's right. Yeah. But everyone else calls Armis it. Troy says he. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think... She is trying to empathize with him in some way. Yeah. 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 So Troy says that when Armis confronts and feels this rage, his guard goes down and acknowledging his needs makes him vulnerable, which I mean, that's true. That's what happens when it, you can you can put up a lot of guards and not feel your feelings. And then that will in some ways make you not vulnerable. Well, recognizing someone's needs is empathizing with a person. I mean, yeah. that's, that's what empathy kind of is in a way. Yeah, but also for yourself. Yes. Like yes. we can we can have guards up and and not feel our own our own needs and and our own feelings, but that often has difficult consequences as as we see for Armis. Yeah, so Troy tells Picard that the key here for for really understanding Armis is that he's he's been abandoned. Yeah on this planet and probably is is a lot of his own anger and rage comes from that sense of abandonment. So Armis brings Picard back. Thankfully, he wasn't listening in on this conversation. That would have actually made a lot of sense for him to be like, okay, you can talk to her, but I'm going to monitor gonna you. monitor what's going on. So Armis didn't listen to this chat, which is nice. Uh, Picard asks where Armis wants to go and if he wants to find those who abandoned it. And Armis says that he's been on the planet for a very long time, but to save his compassion. He doesn't like that these people are being like understanding of him or showing pity and makes him angry. And so yeah. Picard says that he doesn't believe that Armis even really deserves compassion. Well, he says that Armis doesn't believe it. He's like, you don't think you deserve, you're, you don't think you're worthy of my compassion. Yes, yes, yeah. Armis then kind of deflects and says, humans are weak. But Picard says, yeah, but their spirit is indomitable. And that's what we've been seeing of the crew up until now. You know, especially yeah, as you mentioned, the first episode. Yeah. yeah, especially of like you're saying of Troy, like she she basically has been indomitable, yeah. indomitable bull, 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 in the in the shuttle. You know, she hasn't yeah. let her herself be broken, even though like, you know, in particular, she's probably been in a way kind of tortured the most by Armas because, you know, he he took Riker over to her and was like, hey, I'm hurting yeah. this person that you love and, and everything else. Like it's it's been hard on her. Yeah. And also, I think likely the fact that her mind is sort of open to all of so she's feeling what armis feels yeah so yeah so picard quotes you have a quote here who's it what is picard quoting <laughs> he quotes i haven't read prometheus unbound but apparently this is what this is from this is the 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 demogorgon i only know the demogorgon from stranger things yeah that's i that's the only place i know it from too yeah, yeah. but uh apparently in uh percy shelley's prometheus unbound the demogorgon says all spirits are enslaved that serve things evil and Arbor says yeah but i'm not serving evil I am evil. Yeah. 
I am the skin of evil left here by a race of titans who believed if they rid themselves of me, they would be free the, of the bonds of destructiveness. Yeah. What does that even mean? I don't know. But clearly it doesn't, they're not really. I mean, they might have lengthened the bonds to destructiveness to a point that they don't see it anymore. Yeah. But destructiveness is still there. Or, or maybe it's not affecting them, but it's not gone. It's not gone. You can't just yeah. absolve yourself of, of it. Yeah. So I think that's, is that true of us as well? So like we need to, you know, I, we can't just like push our destructive impulses to one side and then believe that they're not still there. You know, it's it's like we we have to, I think, keep those elements of ourselves in check. Actually, you know what? This reminds me of something else. There was an article that um, I saw recently. Uh, it was written by Austin E. Osworth in uh, LitHub.com. And it was called oh. uh, Fascist Fandom and Raging Incels Tracing the Baffling Nerd to White Nationalist Pipeline. Oh, okay. And it was interesting because it like it talked about how strange it is that there is so much of, of like toxic fandom out there even though the fandom is watching shows that are always about stories that are anti-authoritarian anti like capitalist anti yeah you know and it's like anti-fascist so it's like why is it that a that a fandom that watches all of these things can't see themselves in the villain character right and the suggestion that was made by the author in the article says like maybe are the stories just not nuanced enough for us to see ourselves in armis or ourselves in like characters like Ducat or Khan or, mm. you know, whatever. And maybe that's what happens is that I think that if we try to push those negative elements to us aside, maybe we just ultimately become them anyway, if we're not aware of enough of them and how they are impacting things. So I wonder if that mm. like that race of titans that are now so brilliant and beautiful, maybe if they're so unaware of their own evil that they've left somewhere else, maybe you're bound to repeat it again. Maybe. I also think there is like... I feel like if I don't deal with things that are hurting me, I'm more likely to hurt someone unintentionally later. Yes, absolutely. And that I think is what, so so these people, their way of dealing with the thing that was hurting them was to cast it aside. And it's still but hurting it, people. It's still hurting people. So they didn't actually deal with it. They just repressed it or, or cast it off. Yeah. But like maybe ridding themselves of the responsibility of it, but not actually um, preventing any damage. Oof. Yeah. So on the bridge, here's where Worf, we're, I think we see Worf's like tactical chops. Yep. Because Worf, Worf tells Wesley to set the computer to automatically beam up Troy and Prieto when the energy level reaches 2.6.205. I don't know what the units are, but that was the number. There's so many decimal points in that number. I know. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. And then to do a parallel transport of Picard when that happens. Yeah, because so, they don't want to leave them down there. <laughs> no, no, no. We got everyone else. Captain can. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. So Picard says, and this I actually felt was a little bit problematic. Picard says to Armis, you're not true evil. True evil would be submitting to you. And he says, when we surrender our freedom, our dignity, instead of defying you, like that's that's true evil. And I felt like that was, mm, I, I was thinking about that in context of, oppression where like resistance is really important but if you say that the real evil is submitting to the oppression and not defying the oppression I feel like you're you're sort of letting the oppressor off the hook a little bit yeah I wasn't quite sure honestly what Picard meant by this I guess it was kind of like because Armis is more of a concept like he's an embodiment of evil 
Uh, yeah. The more evil thing is to become like that, I guess. I don't. Maybe. I don't know. It's but I think you're know. you're right, though. It's it's it, it. Yeah, it is. It is a problematic statement. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I was into it because I'm like, oh, yeah, Picard speech. Woo. But yeah, it doesn't. It's not exactly. <laughs> Patrick Stewart can sell just about anything. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you go. You preach yeah. Picard because that's what we always like Picard for. But uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't exactly work in this moment yeah anyways armis threatens to kill picard and the shuttle crew and picard says it like it'll still be here you could do that but you're going to be alone forever and that's the thing that finally like yeah. really hits armis in this like vulnerable place because as troy has divined from armis he is he suffers from this abandonment the pain of his abandonment being left here by this other civilization being considered not worthy or not alive and when Picard puts, like, punches that weak spot, Armus like, freaks out and, and starts to rage. Yeah, and so the energy level is down to 2.6.3, and then Picard says, your real fear is to be left here forever. Yeah, because you're immortal. Yeah. yeah. Never reunited with the others, and Armus just starts to roar yeah. and wail and... Then the energy goes down and they the computer automatically beams up Troy and Prieto and Picard says, we're not going to take you. I'm not taking you anywhere. Yeah. You're staying here. And, and he then vanishes. Picard vanishes. Picard is beamed away. And Armis, you know, the the wail that Armis lets off, it it was actually like it was hard for me to listen to. And it reminded me of like when little kids are just like kind of scream crying. Yeah. Like it's just that kind of it's a it's a kind of crying and yelling that people tend not to do as they get older because they learn a certain amount of control or social convention or whatever. It's just not you hear it mostly in like young young people so it was so hard to hear this like adult voice doing screaming that. like that yeah and it's sort of like almost like because he has been sort of almost petulant in his attitude around things yeah. too right like yeah. this kind of like immaturity and yeah it's it, this weird yeah combination that makes sense yeah it is sad like i don't it think is. that picard was wrong to leave armis there but it's tragic but it's like his whole tragic. existence is very tragic yeah you so see you, yeah. you kind of do I think through Troy and, and also through Picard's conversation with Armis, you're almost kind of drawn into a into a pity and, and sympathy for yeah. for Armis, even though he is this terrible creature. Yeah. So is he right? What do, you, what do you think? Was Picard right to leave him on the planet? Should they have helped I mean, him? Was he redeemable at all? I don't think Armis did anything to show that he would have been safe to take to off take the anywhere. Planet. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I don't know. I think that's a, it's a heck of a, heck of a question. But to ensure that he doesn't leave, they fire yeah. a photon torpedo down. At first, I'm like, are they firing it at Armis? But they're they're not. They're destroying the shuttle wreckage just to ensure that Armis can't find any way to use it to get off the planet. Yeah, and then they declare the planet off limits. They do. It's really yeah. It is really like unsettling again. Leaving the leaving that planet is. Ooh, it's creepy also because they declare it off limits, but it's also like we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, and it's and the planet itself is creepy looking. It's this kind of like sepia-toned brown yeah. desert-looking world. 
and it's ominous as they float above it and you know what's yeah. down there and then and then they leave and so there's this very interesting like i don't know if it was intentional or not but it was kind of a neat like color contrast because oh, they've yeah. been on this like dead looking barren world and mm-hmm. then one of the scenes you see next is the holodeck doors opening where there yeah. is now like a memorial service essentially for Yar, and it's on a world that that it as in the holodeck is like green with blue sky and clouds, and yeah. like so we get this stark contrast between both settings. Yeah, so they're all they're all there. Troy and Riker have their arms around each other, yeah. which I thought was nice. Troy still has a little bruise on her on her cheek mm-hmm. from the shuttle the shuttle crash, and. Apparently, Tasha had asked that they celebrate her life with this pre-recorded hollow message. And uh, if I lose it while going through this, I apologize, but it might happen. I might not be able to hold it together. I didn't remember this part from when I watched it before. So it made sense afterwards because we see data with this hollow recording and miniaturized version later. Yeah. But I'd forgotten that it was from... It was from this episode. And so she leaves these personalized messages for each of the crew. And they're very touching. They are. There were a couple that I had a problem with. So maybe can 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 we go through those first? Sure. And then go through the the touchingness? Because I don't want to take away. Okay, yeah, please. Go ahead. So I didn't. There were a a few. I didn't like how she said to Troy that Troy helped her realize that that she could be feminine without losing anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like it makes sense in the context of like the late 80s or sure. the 90s. But it's it bugs me for a couple of reasons. One, I think that there is a bit of an implication if you can be feminine without losing anything, there's a bit of an implication that the the more common way of being feminine is to lose something. Right. And the other thing is I think there are a lot of women who are not particularly feminine. And the reason that they're not feminine is not that they are afraid of losing something. It's just who they are. So this idea of like, and and maybe this is true of Tasha Yar, I don't know, but this idea of like, if a, if a woman is not feminine, it's because she has to be tough. And, and if she were feminine, then she would lose some kind of strength. But I mean, that might be true of some people, but it also might be true that some people just aren't that feminine and it's not a it's not a like sacrifice that they're making. So I didn't love that. It, it isn't like femininity is strong. It's like, oh, there are ways in which one could be feminine and still be strong. Yes. So I didn't love that. I, I also like I only noticed this when I was like making up my notes on on the episode, but she says LaForge helped her like see things differently. And I was like, is this another thing about like the blind guy helps us see things? Maybe. I didn't. Like, are, are we doing that again? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't mind it. I thought it was okay. You know, because she, he does have that moment where, yeah, I don't know. It just felt a little too on the nose. Yeah, maybe it was. But that, you know what? That's kind of Star Trek sometimes. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there was, so that was just like, it was the kind of thing where it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but it was, it kind of took me out of it where I was like, I was feeling a lot. And then I was like, oh, do you want to get into Why don't we do the nice things? Want to do the nice things? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do okay, that. Okay. So Riker trusted and encouraged me and made me laugh. And I agree with that. Riker makes us laugh too. He's a great guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, she says, Troy is capable of so much love and taught me without saying anything. And I, I think that that's... I, that yeah that makes sense and she's very loving too. Troy is, is definitely like one she of the hearts loving. on the, the crew and I and I think I learn a lot from watching Troy and okay she is saying things but it's not like it's not that the things that she says are direct lessons it's what she does yeah I agree yeah yeah uh, Worf that she felt a likeness between them they're both warriors and they were both orphans who found ourselves this family and I had never considered that until she said yeah. it, I was like, "Wow, they they were both they were both orphaned," and I I never really thought about that parallel between them. So it was another one of those things where I was like, when she said that, I was like, "Ah, I like this could have been Warfin Yar could have maybe had like more a thing like I don't know like however that relationship would have looked like it would have just been cool for them to find more um, likeness with each yeah. other and support with each other however that could have evolved and so it was yeah just, see that dynamic yeah. Maybe it would have been like a totally different life for Worf in another universe. Yeah. Uh, She says, Crusher's fierce devotion can't be diminished. And she says, you taught me to strive for excellence. And I I thought that was very on point for Crusher when she said that. I was like, yeah, Yeah. Crusher is very much, she's all about excellence and and devotion. And that made a lot of sense. And not, not compromising. Like in the previous episode where it's like, like excellence, not just like, Always do your best work, but like always be the best person you can be. Yes. Yeah. Wesley, your kindness and innocence are ageless. Yeah. And that she she regrets not being able to see him grow into the excellent uh, person that that or adult man, I think she says that yeah. he will become. Yeah. Yeah. And so she does. She says this thing about LaForge uh, helping her to see things differently when she felt the most despair. One thing I will say about LaForge's character is that he does have a really, a really nice positive personality, not like a toxic positivity, but he is, it is, it is helpful. I think he is a sort of a helpful person to have around mm. in a crisis because he will help you look beyond the immediate crisis and, and look at the bigger picture. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, Data, she says, you see things with the wonder of a child, and that makes you more human than any of us. I thought that was so great. That was so great. Yeah. Um, and I love that because, like, you know, like, so I recently changed all my social media handles, so they're about wonder. Yeah. So my handles now are be wonderful, but with two L's. Right. Yeah. And I like that's that's the tr- that's the work that I always try to do. Like as a science communicator, I'm always trying to like instill wonder in people because that's what people did for me, both between my right. grandfather when I was a kid and this show. That's what Star Trek did for me too. And I I love that that I think that element of the show comes a lot through Data's wonder that he is always that sort of like innocence that childlike innocent wonder and he carries that as the as that crew member in the show and i love that they point that out in this yeah and then we come to picard Uh. and this is where i'm gonna try to say it all i'm gonna try to get through it actually maybe let's just play it because i don't i I won't be able to say it without breaking okay and it's better it's better from her okay so we'll play it captain jean-luc picard I wish I could say you've been like a father to me. But I've never had one, so I don't know what it feels like. But if there was someone in this universe I could choose to be like, someone who I would want to make proud of me, it's you. Oh my gosh. So, 
That's how so I that's how go. I feel about Picard. You know, I wanted a character like that. I want a person like that to yeah. to be proud of me too. I think in some ways all of us do. That's why like I remember when Picard the new series was coming out and yeah. so many people were posting about it and they people were calling Picard Space Dad online. And I was like, yeah, I totally relate to that. Because <laughs> Picard yeah, you've always called him. Yeah, dad. and so for me, like when I was growing up, Picard was my space yeah. dad for sure. And I always wanted Picard to be proud of me too. However you make a yeah. fictional character proud of you. But there was that sentiment. Yeah. Right? I I remember watching this episode in like second year university and thinking about some of my high school teachers mm-hmm. who I had a similar feeling towards of like, yeah, like I just want, I just hope that I, I make you proud in what I do. Yeah, in my, my connection with my own family is different right so yes. like i i didn't uh, i didn't feel a need for someone to feel proud of me like this in my own family mm. but i did i did have a want for for this person uh, like a person like picard to feel that way about mm-hmm. me and mm-hmm. i i wonder for those of us who have i don't know what it means for us to feel that way about is it still a positive impact on our life to even at least feel a like they know that a f- what they want a fictional at least a fictional version of that to be like in their life that it's still a healthy thing like even if it's a re- I, I am i saying this right uh, i'm trying to say. i think i know what you are saying i think yeah. and i mean i think that's i mean it probably depends on the person but i feel like you could probably answer that for yourself it was very powerful yeah. I, I think for me growing up to know like that is at least the kind of person that if they were in my life I would want them to feel that way about me. And I think that even though it took me time to find real life people that could fit that space in my life, it was very powerful for me to have Picard (laughs) as a youth in that kind of role, the way that Tasha is describing him. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah, I kind of, I choked up when I, (laughs) when she said that too. Oh my goodness. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, Patrick Stewart, like just the look on his face, it is, he's holding it together. You can see like there's like a resolve on his face. He's not going to break down crying in front of the crew. And he has also likely been in this situation enough times. He's been able to practice it. He is able to, you know, keep it under control until he's by himself or whatever. But there's also in his eyes, there's so much sadness like oh and what i think that she's talking about is there's also a lot of pride yeah like yeah. he he is proud of her yeah and so there's that loss but he actually oh now i'm getting choked up but he yeah. he does he is proud of her and so yeah. we see that desire for her is is i think met is fulfilled in that moment too yeah yeah au revoir natasha au revoir natasha he says and he dismisses everyone and they all slowly start to walk off. Riker and Troy have their arms around each other, which I think is really sweet. Yeah. Apparently, Marina Sirtis also was like, didn't have to act for this scene. She was she was crying real tears. Yeah, because they're going to lose a real friend. Like, they've, yeah. they've been working together for, what, like a year at this point? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and then Crusher and Wesley are holding hands as they walk off. And Data and Picard stay behind. And I also, I loved this. Data says, 
I'm confused about the purpose of this gathering. He says that his thoughts are not for Tasha, but they're for himself because he's thinking about how empty it's going to be now without her presence. Yeah. So he's he's worried that he missed the point, but what he's describing is missing her. Yeah. Which is awesome. This is a huge moment of growth, I think, for Data as yeah. well because he and Tasha were very close, right? Yeah. They they were intimate. They were, you know, they're friends. They were and and I and also like that's a description of an emotion yes it is yeah as much as we always kind of kind of step around calling data's emotes emotional or emotions but i they are i think for for all intents and purposes what is missing someone if not thinking about the emptiness that they leave behind yeah how is that not a feeling yeah and so picard says that he did not miss the point at all no and then he leaves and and we leave we leave with data by himself on the holodeck. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. And so that's that's where we end. That's where we end. So goodbye, Tasha. Goodbye, Tasha. We and hardly we knew miss you. you. We hardly yeah. knew you. Yeah. And we wish we knew more of you, your character, and your backstory. Yeah. Uh, it is a loss to Star Trek. It is. Yeah. I 100% agree. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to let us know your thoughts on missing the wonderful Tasha Yar. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. Metal Musil is disgusting. <laughs>